You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Happy New Year. We're further away from 2020 than 2021. Whoop! Right? <laughs> uh, so it took this picture over here on uh, Friday night. We had uh, just to get together with some guys from Comunidad and we're able to stay up till about one and uh, pray and just uh, worship, uh, eat and play Uno and other things. It was kind of fun. Um, but that's what I got to do uh, over New Year's. What did you do? Would you tell someone next to you what you got to do over, over the uh, New Year's Eve? <laughs> Sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I could uh, hear some of these to find out what the most exciting thing was, but we can't do that. Um, but isn't it exciting to be in 2022? I, I, I know it's not certain that things are better and we don't know exactly where we're headed, but it's, it's nice to be in 2022. I like it. It's, it's nice. Um, so as a preaching team, uh, we have chosen to dive into this book, Jeremiah. Why not start out 2022 with a depressing book? Uh, no, no, we thought about it and we thought about different books. I think Psalms came to mind and uh, th- there were some other ones, like I think we thought about Judges. And we just kept coming back, Jeremiah, Jeremiah. And the theme of this book is faithful living in troubled times. And the idea of, you know, we're not really sure what 22 is going to bring. Hopefully it gets better. Um, But how are we living? What does our life look like? And I love this book. I love the the. Uh, I love the prophet Jeremiah. It's not, it's not about him, but it is about him. It's about him pointing to God. And one of the things we notice about this man is he is just faithful. He's faithful no matter what. Over and over and over again, and he's real. Uh, he's honest. He's emotional. He writes a book called Weeping uh, or Lamentations. Um, but yet, this is, this is Jeremiah. So before we get started, I'd like for us to just get a bird's eye view of this book. And there are these resources by the Bible Project um, that give over, overviews of books. And so this is the uh, overview of the uh, book of Jeremiah. Okay, so that's a bird's eye view. I think we could just wrap it up and call it a day, right? That's an overload. There's so much there. Um, but that's what we're getting into. So today, we're just going to go into chapter one of Jeremiah. And the question, I think, is this relevant to us? Yeah, very much. A message of, of God's judgment and of hope. It's what the world needs to hear. It's what we need to be thinking about. This is the perspective. It gives us perspective. It gives us um, how, how we live. Thinking of the world we live in, do we live in troubled times? I was talking to, we were talking to Jim Hislop the other day, and uh, uh, just asked, you know, has, has, has there been worse times? And he said, yeah, I can think of a few times that have been worse than, than, than now, like times of war. Um, they're not good. But there's something interesting about the times that we live in. Um, it's a culture where God is more and more rejected, where we see uh, a steep decline in morality. Everything is politicized. There's a cry for justice. 
there is need for God's truth. This is, there is a time that we live in that just something is dark. And uh, that's the world we live in, so we can definitely use, uh, take the time and, and dive into this book. So let's do that. Let's read Jeremiah. By the way, that uh, Bible Project video comes from the Bible Project uh, resources. If you uh, would like, if you're reading a book or going into uh, reading the Bible, maybe this would be a good way to start out a book. Just take some time and, and go and listen to their overviews or, or watch them. Jeremiah chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 1. One of the first things that I just want to take a look at is Jeremiah's world, and then talk a little bit about our world. And when we look at this, um, look at his time, and the the Bible Project kind of mentions it, the setting is a transition between the Assyrian Empire to the Babylonian Empire. And uh, the Assyrian Empire is in decline, but the Assyrians had already come and taken over half of what used to be the nation of Israel. The 10 northern tribes were taken captive already. And Jeremiah lives on the border of what used to be uh, the 10 tribes and Judah. And so he's in Judah, it hasn't been taken captive yet, but there's a decline in Assyria And so uh, the Babylonians are beginning to take over, but there's this hope that maybe, maybe they won't get us. 
And Egypt down there is thinking this is the time to overthrow our oppressors. And if you look at the map, Israel is right there. Judah is right there at the end of the Mediterranean, on the right side of the Mediterranean Sea. They're, they're just right where all this war happens. And uh, this is the transition. This is when Jeremiah lives. Right away, Jeremiah gives us the characters in the story, in, in the first chapter. Here, here are the people that we need to know. And the first one is Jeremiah. And it says, he's the son of Hilkiah. If we were to go back to 2 Kings chapter 22, under the reign of Josiah, there was a high priest who had gone into the temple. Um, the, king had asked him, he, he, the king had asked him to clean it, and, his, and so he's cleaning the temple. Uh, at least that's what his charge was. And he finds the book of God's law. Like, they were so far away from God that the book of the law was lost. And he finds it, and he starts to read it, and he thinks, oh boy, the king needs to see this. So he goes and he takes the book of the law to King Josiah, um, who, by the way, became king at the age of eight. He was eight when the people took him and crowned him. Um, Josiah, going about his story, his grandfather was a wicked man. Terribly wicked man. Uh, he set up worship places for Baal. He was the, the sun god, the god of fertility. And uh, they, he set up worship in all kinds of places, not just in all kinds of places. He set up worship to Baal in the temple. And these gods often would have a, a consort or, or, or a goddess that they kind of matched them up with. And the goddess was Asherah or Ashtoreth. And they would, they would set up these, tree li, or these limbless trees or these poles in certain places in worship for them. And they'd, bring, they'd have altars to them. And on these altars, they'd bring sacrifices. His grandfather actually sacrificed one of his sons on one of these altars. And the people would do the same. And then his dad came along. He, he did the same thing. And here comes Josiah, and the officials killed his dad. He was just a child. He's taken and he's made king. And it says that if you go back to the story and you read 2 Kings and Chronicles, it says he was eight years into his reign when he starts searching for God. Something happens, and he's 16. He's just a boy. But he's like, I want God. And he finds this book of the law is found. And, and he tears his robe in, in, in humility. He's like, God, we are so messed up. And he prays. And he begins to purge Jerusalem and the temple and the people. And he says, we need to turn back to God. And there was already a tide coming of God's wrath. And God takes the tide and he holds it back. Is Josiah, because you humbled yourself, because you pursue me, I'm going to hold this back. You won't see this in your day. And Jeremiah becomes a prophet and is called during the reign of Josiah. So it starts out really good. But then Josiah dies. And his sons take the throne. And they're wicked men. And so these men here, Zedekiah, son of King Josiah, king of Judah, um, and Jehoiakim, these guys were not. So Babylon comes during their times and basically takes the rest of Judah, Judah captive. 
And so now there are a bunch of people that are in Babylon, and, and Jeremiah is a prophet to those who stayed. He's a prophet to those who are gone. He's a prophet to Israel. He's a prophet to the nations. He'll end up in Egypt. So this is, this is the story, and, and this is where we're at. And so God calls him and, and just, oh, let's talk about this. He calls him, but what does our world look like? What does our, our world look like, like today um, when we think about the times that we live in? Do we pursue, what do we worship? What does our world or what does our worship, world worship? Do, you know, we don't see people bowing down before the sun and the moon and we don't see them necessarily taking off after some crazy cults, but that does happen, right? And maybe we look at them and we say, wow, how could they have been so duped? You know, what happened? But yet when you think about the kings back then and you think about the people today, what they were pursuing when you think about the worships to Baal and Asherah and all those things, they were looking to these gods for, um, they wanted their crops to grow. They wanted maybe to feel loved. There are all these things they pursued. They're asking these gods for success. There are a lot of things that were good things, but they were asking the wrong gods. And then there were also the other side of those things where they're pursuing all kinds of different pleasures. They worship to uh, Ashtoreth, for example, and Baal was involved prostitution and all kinds of uh, speaking uh, divination and things like that. But nowadays, when we look at people, what, what does our culture pursue? What, do, what does our world pursue? What do we want? I can think of some things. The things that we pursue, we want security. Success, recognition, health, joy, happiness, pleasure, entertainment, food, looks. I mean, this list, there are a lot of things we want. And they're not necessarily bad things. My question is, how high up on the priority list are they? How important are they, and, and what, are we, what have we given up to have these things? And a more personal question, what, or what, what is it that I worship? When I wake up in the morning, when you wake up in the morning, what do you live for? What do we desire? What are the things we really want? <laughs> what motivates us? Um, we need food. We want health. Those are important things. Community. We want to feel loved. These things are, are very important things. But do they, do they own us? And Jesus was asked in his time, he was, uh, there were people, Caesar himself set himself up, and, and there were people who worshipped Caesar. It was eventually required to worship Caesar. And people would come, they came and asked him the question, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? I mean, perhaps if you're using Caesar's coin and, and maybe paying Caesar, wouldn't, wouldn't that be worship? And Jesus is, is being asked, what do, you, what do I say? And, and Jesus' answer, he said, give Caesar what is Caesar's, but give God what's God's. And the point is, You've got to give God his place. 
And what place does God have in your life? Where is he? Where is he in your, in, in your life? What place does he have and the things of God? What position do they occupy in your life? How much of my thinking, when I get up in the morning, I go throughout my day, I lay down, how much of my thinking is about God and how much of it is, is, is even with God? Do I just go about my day and my week you know, doing my own thing, and maybe I tack God on on Sundays. Okay, mark that off. Is that, is that what we're doing? Or, or maybe he does have priority in my life, and I worship him with my life. I get up in the morning, and I think about my day, and I want him to be involved in all of it, and I recognize him as I go. What position does God have in my life? The second thing I think about as we look at this chapter is God's foreknowledge his calling and dedication of Jeremiah. <laughs> the word of the Lord came to me, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This is an amazing insight into who God is. Um, I think about these phrases, before, before he creates him, God knows Jeremiah. He knows him, like he intimately knows him. I, this picture comes to mind the other day. I was talking to, the, to a family who just got a dog, and uh, they found the dog at the pound. So they said they went through the, the pound. They were looking through the dogs, and uh, the, 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 the husband, the man in the, in the home, he saw this dog, and he says, the wife says, and this dog that we have, he just took to him. Just took to him, and so we brought it home. And I think about God. I, maybe this is a terrible picture, but I think about God in the past He's like looking ahead, at, not at the pound, but he's looking at us. And he knows which ones are just going to take to him. And he doesn't, because God knows everybody. He knows everybody, but he knows Jeremiah. It's an intimate knowing. This is, this is Jeremiah. And I think about the question, what about us? Does God know us? Does he call us? Does he give us a task? Yeah. God calls you right where you are. If we were to take a look at different passages, like Proverbs chapter 21 says that God weighs the hearts of men. He knows everything. There's not a hair that falls off our heads that he's not aware of, that he doesn't know. So he knows everybody. He knows everything. 1 Timothy 2 says that God's desire is that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. His desire is that everyone is saved. God's word says that he calls all men to repentance. Does God get what he wants? No. He doesn't always get what he wants. He will fulfill his word and his promises are always true. But his desire is for all people. He loves the world. He's calling everyone. When you, Jesus told the story in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew chapter 7, he says, someday people will stand before God and they'll say, I did all these things in your name. And God's going to say, but I, I don't know you. He knows everything, but intimately, relationally, he doesn't. 
know everyone, and he's calling everyone to himself. But then there are those of us who have come to know Jesus as our personal savior, who one day recognize God is, loves me and he wants to have a relationship with me, and we've responded like, yeah, Lord, I take to you. I, I want you. I need you in my life. And we, we take him, we accept him, and Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30 says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined, he also called. And he's talking about us, those he foreknew. Even though he knows everybody, he he chose you, he, 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 he knows you, and he, he, he comes to relationship with you. For those of us who know Jesus, he is conforming us into the image of Jesus. And you don't have to have any special title of pastor or missionary or church staff to be called by God. He calls you where you are. There is a man I know who is a, a foreman, construction foreman. Sometimes he's got like 20, 20 to 30 guys under him. He works for a big uh, con uh, commercial, commercial construction company. And, and when he works on the, he comes to the job site, people get to know him. And his workers know that man loves Jesus. They know, he, they know he's a Jesus follower. Not because he, he's not, uh, you know, putting it in your face. He's not pushing Jesus on people, but when the conversations uh, become colorful or, um, or when things are said that, you know, just don't, don't feel right, he doesn't take part of those conversations, and there are times when he'll steer the conversations to something else. And people ask, oh, come on. Oh, come on. You know, don't, don't tell me that you don't feel the same way. He's like, I follow Jesus. And there are times when owners of the company will do things like take materials from one job site and move it to another that doesn't belong to the same thing, or they'll cut corners, and they want him to take part in it. And he's flat out told them, um, you're gonna, you know what? If you want to do that, I don't want to have any part in it. These are the owners, his bosses. I can't, I'm not going to have any part in that. And he sees things, and there comes a point when he's like, you know, maybe it's time for me to look for another job. And he leaves his security, <laughs> security for his family, because he says, I'm called by God to live in a broken world, and I'm called to be faithful. And he chooses to be faithful, and God has blessed this man. He blesses him, and he serves in his church. He serves wholeheartedly, and he gives generously. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in a hospital, a nurse, a doctor, or whether you work at McDonald's or wherever. God is calling you where you are to serve and represent him. When we look at Jeremiah's response, when he calls him, right away we see his inadequacy. He's like, um, alas, sovereign God, sovereign Lord. I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. A prophet to the nations? Are you kidding? I'm not varsity material. You know, I'm like third string, fourth maybe. I didn't even try out. 
You look at this and you see it over and over, like Amos, the prophet, when God calls him, he's like, um, I, I was not a prophet. I was just a shepherd and I planted trees, almond trees. That, that's my job. And God called me to speak. And so here he's like, I, I'm inadequate. I, this is not my thing. There are some interesting things when you look back at different guys that are called like Isaiah or um, Samuel. You know, when God calls them, they're like, here I am, send me. Yeah, they struggle a bit, but you hear that response right away at the beginning. In this book, in this chapter, when God calls Jeremiah, we don't see a response. It doesn't say, yes, Lord, I'm in. <laughs> no. But his life is going to be just evidence every day, uh, year after year, king after king. He is faithful to answer the call in life every day. And so for us, when we're called, we're called not just like, hey, yes, Lord, I'm in. We can say that. But what does our life say? What about our life? And I think about our struggle with inadequacy. Do we struggle with inadequacy and fear? Uh, yeah. I think about just, just me. God calls me to reflect him as a husband and a father. <laughs> Boy, do I feel inadequate. I'm responsible to nurture my wife. To live with her in an understanding way. I don't even think we speak the same language sometimes. <laughs> but... I'm called to live with her in an understanding way, to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What a tall order. Are you kidding me? I'm not the varsity squad. I am responsible to train up a child in the way that he should go in a world that's nothing like the one I grew up in. I keep thinking, oh yeah, it's similar. Yeah, we had, we had gaming too. It's nothing like it. <laughs> The gaming platforms today are social media platforms. And they're just open to everybody. Um, where the voices of culture and the influences are in direct opposition of what God wants. When I grew up, there was, seemed to be still some, some respect for God. Some, yeah, his ways are right. Where it's hard to find friends that truly desire to love God and live for him. And that's me and my wife, we love Jesus. I think about a single parent, single mom, single dad. If I'm feeling inadequate, what about, what about them? What about, you know, people who are uh, on Facebook or Instagram and we're watching all the posts of people who show their best? Boy, that can make us feel inadequate. You know, or this person is hanging out with that friend. Maybe I feel left out. The feelings of inadequacy, they're everywhere. But I love Jeremiah's real, he's real with God. At least he goes to God with it. He doesn't just hide and says, okay, okay, I'll go do it. And then doesn't, because he's, he's feeling inadequate. He tells God. And what God does is God equips his servant with everything he needs. Uh, this passage says, you know, he, I'm sending you 
I'm, I, you're gonna say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid. I am with you and will rescue you. And then he reaches out and, and he puts his hand on him and he touches his mouth. The thing that he says, I am inadequate because I can't speak, I'm too young. God says, I've touched you. I, I'm, I'll deal with that. My touch is powerful. And then he said, I've put my words in your mouth. I appoint you. This is God at work. And God equips him. And I think about us. What about our equipment? Am I using what God provides to live life or am I doing it on my own? How are we living life? Do we trust him? Are we living for him? 2 Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything we need, God provides. And, and the question is, are we grabbing onto it? Are we holding on to what God has given so, so we can live for him? He's given us everything, everything we need. I think about this this. Uh, this idea of everything we need for a godly life. A- and then the next phrase, our knowledge of him. <laughs> Every, everything we need isn't found in pursuing all kinds of things. It's, it's found in spending time with God. So as we start this new year, my question for me, for us, is how are we spending time? How are we getting to know God? Are you reading the Bible? Are you reading his word? Do you take time praying, talking to God? Are you investing in community, just loving other people? Are we spending time with him? He called us, and he's given us everything we need. And and sometimes I think we live our lives, and we just don't take it. Uh, James says, you know, you don't have because you don't ask. We're not, so I just want to encourage us, let's take hold of what God has given us. He's given us everything we need, and he's inviting us into relationship. Let's invest in this relationship. Um, God's presence, he's with us. Keep thinking about that phrase. I walked into a very difficult situation a while back and talked to someone who loves Jesus, and he reminded me, when we walk into a situation, the very presence of God walks with us. He's there with us. When we talk to people, and this is the last thing, God's message through Jeremiah. It's a message, and in this first chapter, all we see is judgment is coming. (laughs) Judgment is coming. But when you put it in light of the entire book, it's judgment and hope is coming. And so our message, when we go out of the world, if you're a Jesus follower, do you believe that judgment is coming? Do you you honestly believe that God is going to deal with sin? Yeah. He will. He's going to. He's going to deal with sin in our lives. He's going to deal with sin in the lives of people around us, of our family, of our neighbors, of the world. And if they don't hang on to the hope that we have in in Jesus, in God, they're going to receive basically the exile. They're going to be sent away. They're going to be lost. So we're called to share the message, just like Jeremiah shared the message. We're called to share in this passage. God talks, gives him two um, 
two pictures, two signs of the judgment. The first one is an almond tree. And you're like, what? An almond tree? And then God says, because uh, I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Well, in, in, in Jeremiah's day, the word almond was a word with two meanings. One was almond tree, and the other one was watching or wakefulness, wakeness. And basically, God's saying, Jeremiah, when you see an almond tree, I want you to remember, I am watching and I am faithful to fulfill my word. So in English, it doesn't quite make sense, but, but, it, but it makes sense. Because God, what he's saying is, I will keep my word. And if God says judgment is coming, it's coming. It's going to happen. And the second thing he says, this judgment that's coming, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he says, I see this pot boiling over from the north and it's, it's pouring on us. And he's saying, yeah, Babylon, it's coming. And it's going to take Judah captive. It's coming, and this is the message. And so while this isn't our message today, we do have a message that judgment is coming. And our, our task is to tell people there is judgment coming, but we have hope. And today, as we, we, we're going to take a few minutes here, and we have this message to deliver, and we, as we think about this message to deliver, we're going to take communion. And so I'd like to invite the worship team back up, and I'd like to invite the ushers to come up and help, uh, help uh, share the, the, the bread and the cup. But as, as we think about communion, communion has a message. And the message of communion is that God sent his own son to live among us. We just celebrated it over Christmas. <laughs> we just celebrated the Emmanuel God coming with us. Jesus comes, he lives his life, he becomes a sacrifice in payment for all our sin, to heal us from sin. This is the message. His blood was poured out so we would be washed from our sin. And when we take this bread and we take the cup, uh, Paul says that we, we proclaim a message and the message that we proclaim is we, we're, we're we're speaking, as we're acting this out, we're speaking out that Jesus died for me. That's the message. So I'd like to invite you, as you come forward, to take communion. Would you consider God's call in your life? Would you consider it in light of his faithfulness? God is faithful. Please, let's take communion. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.